she ever, we can ever stabilize her to do surgery, that would be uh, something we don't even expect to happen. But if it does, prepare for the worst. And even if she survives, most likely she's not going to be um, anything like she used to be. We'll just say it that way. And uh, time went on and prayers happened and and we prayed in faith. We didn't spit and slobber and holler and scream and I didn't climb on top of the bed and do all kinds of crazy stuff. We just laid hands because we had faith that God was going to do a work. And we just prayed a simple prayer of faith that said, Lord, you are able to raise her up. We don't care what the doctors say. You have the last word. And we don't always understand why God doesn't always heal, but sometimes like that we're going to hear, he does. And the last thing I want to say is in the weeks to come as we visit her in the hospital, you think it's a little crazy in here today. You think this church maybe is a little bit more rowdy than you're used to, but we aren't even close to as rowdy as Nancy was. Worshiping God. Just like they misunderstood Mary's worship in the Bible, she took the alabaster box, a year's worth of wages, broke it, washed Jesus' feet. They thought that was a waste because they didn't understand the depth of her gratitude. And the, the nurses were concerned that we were getting Nancy too wound up. And I was thinking, I'm playing Amazing Grace. How much less can I try to get her wound up? I'm praying, playing Amazing Grace as the slow as I can. But she didn't care. Hands would go up. Tears would start flowing down her face. And she would just, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Amen. It was awesome. Unashamed. Didn't care who was around. She was worshiping her God that raised her up. Amen. So we're going to hear Sister Nancy's version of that today. And and maybe afterwards, if uh, I don't know if Clint and Jim, we're going to share a little bit of the medical side. If they don't, that's fine. But it's just, you could sit here for a long time and recount the miracles. We're going to hear a short version today um, because it could go on for hours. We're just glad that she's here to share with us all the way from Arizona. Amen. So, Sister Nancy, if you would um, come and share today. And uh, Sister Grandma Parks is proof that your prayers are not in vain. She's been praying for her family for years and years and years. And uh, so you're going to hear how just one of her family members' life was completely turned around for Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, everybody. I'm going to really try to get through this without breaking down, but it's a very emotional thing for me. Um, and I'm going to try to get through this without losing my voice. I've had a couple surgeries on my voice, and I'm in for a couple more. But with God's help, I will talk normal again. So just excuse me if I lose my voice, um, and I 
cough or whatever it may be. I know a lot of you have heard bits and pieces of this story, and I know that a lot of you uh, went to the hospital from this church to pray for me. I don't remember any of it, and for that I'm sorry. I, I wished I could remember everything that went on, but I don't. Um, on April the 29th, 2016, my life changed forever. I literally died that day. Um, I did the same thing I did every day for 14 and a half years. I got up that morning, went to work, felt fine. Um, at 10.30, I went out on break. And as I was coming into the building, I thought, I've got to call Chad today. It's his birthday. It's the last thing I remember. Um, I went down. And I know that the paramedics came, and they stabilized me enough to get me to the hospital where I was put on life support uh, until my family got there. When my family arrived, and this is... I'm telling you what I've been told. And I've asked Jen and Clint to kind of emphasize what really went on because it's hearsay. I I really don't know. But I know that I was put on life support so that my family could get there and tell the doctors it was okay to pull the plug because I wasn't going to survive. When my family got up there, Um, The doctors kept every day that my family came, the doctors, every day, the doctors would say, let's end this, let's pull the plug, she's not going to make it, and if she does, she'll be brain dead. Well, I'm not brain dead, (laughs) right? But I have to tell you, um, anyway, the last thing I remember is going down and getting up to the hospital and um, but my fam- they would tell my family to pull the plug on me my family just thought they were nuts there's no way they were going to pull the plug and they told them that they told them to get out of their face actually is what they did and to quit telling them that to, to, to just go do their job and God would do his instead my family called for prayer And I know um, that there were several states that churches were praying, and my niece, which was even out of the country at the time, had the island shaken, praying. So, amen for her. And so, but I, I get, sometimes I get a little confused, so bear with me. Right after, um, after that, uh, I know that Chad and the, plant and the rest of the family called for prayer. And like I said, they had everybody praying. Um, that, and these people I do know now. I didn't know they were praying then. But in any case, um, every single day that I was alive, the doctors were just stumped. Because what happened was I had an aorta dissection. Most, I want you to understand this and fully get the impact of what happened. An aorta dissection um, is usually three or four inches long. Mine is over two and a half feet long. It goes down my stomach, 
down my leg. That's why the doctor says, no way. They've never, ever seen anybody survive an aorta dissection like mine. Well, they've never seen mine. (laughs) They've never seen it. But I I know that at the time of the incident, it took out uh, one of my kidneys, and it caused a bleed of brain Uh, my brain to bleed, and therefore I suffered a stroke. I've lost the mobility of my left side, so the doctors say. I really have it. Uh, I really have got, I'm able to walk. Um, But I've lost that, and again, I lost a kidney, and to me, that's minor stuff. You know, that's minor. Actually, yeah. Well, but in any case, I, I, I want uh, Chad and, I mean, sorry, Clint. <laughs> I want Clint and Jen to kind of explain uh, the family side of it. I, this is really, really important to me. I want you guys to understand it's not just me. This was my family that went through this and what they suffered. That's what I want you to understand. Because when you go down, it's not just you. It's your family. It's your friends. That's what I want you to understand. And that's why I've asked Clint and Jennifer to kind of elaborate a little bit on what took place in that hospital. You do that. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, I got the phone call about 10.30 in the morning on April 29th saying that my mother um, went to the hospital to uh, the impact. We, uh, I didn't know. They just said just go and, and find out what's going on. So I immediately left work. I went down to the uh, Legacy Emanuel, and I uh, went into the emergency room, and I found my mother on conscience with a breathing tube. And uh, it scared me. I was really, really scared. I'm sorry, Mother. I don't cry, all right? It's not me, all right? I'm sorry. But um, it, it, I was scared. I was really scared. And it, it um, you know, the, her, the nurse said, there's not much, really. She said, um, there's not, they, they didn't know at that point. And so immediately I, I, uh, I left the hospital room, and I went and I, uh, I called my brother. And I said, you need to come down right away. Um, so he flew immediately down, and, um, and uh, as soon as he got off the plane, he told me, he said, there's something bigger going on here. Um, he said, there's something bigger uh, than what, is what you see right now. So don't lose faith. Um, let's pray and, and see Mother through this. So immediately we called on all, all the saints of God, and, uh, you know, like faithful servants, they sure showed up. And uh, um, the pastor, uh, 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 the other pastor we have, uh, uh, Ryan, and um, and uh, Brother John Ellis, really thankful for you, and Sister Julie. And they came down, and, and you know, we laid hands on my mother. And, um, you know, um, slowly but surely, she started just kind of coming around. And uh, it, was, it was amazing because uh, we kept getting um, all this information from the doctors saying, uh, you might start preparing. You know, things are getting bad. Go home and yeah. 
Yeah, start. And, and uh, you know, uh, my brother just looked at me and he said, don't you believe it? Not for one second. There's, there's something bigger going on. So, uh, and then I knew right then and there, I'm like, there is. Wait a minute. My mother's not going to die here today. She's not going to die here tomorrow. She's going to live. And I was, that, it, it, the Holy Ghost flooded me. And I knew, I just knew it. And um, so, uh, uh, other than that, I, I, I'm going to give it over to Jenny to let her explain even further. All right. Well, um, before that flood of peace came over him, we had, so when she started coming around for, you know, a few days after um, this had all happened, she was squeezing his hand and acknowledging his presence and kind of, you know, nodding to answer questions and things like that, and we were starting to get a glimmer of hope. Well, besides the medical portion of it that the doctors kept saying, well, that glimmer of hope, she might be conscious, but we don't know how cognitive and all this stuff, and she actually, when they went to transfer her to Kaiser, she stopped responding, and, and she stopped, you know, acknowledging people were there. She kind of glazed over. She went into a state where she was down again. And when we took her to Kaiser, the Kaiser doctors there, they were so negative. So negative. None of the doctors ever at any point during all this really had anything positive or any glimmer of hope in any of this. But we got got her to Kaiser, and she had been unresponsive for a day or two. And they said, basically, there's no point on doing the surgery on her heart if she's brain dead. And they believed she was brain dead. They believed there was too much damage from her stroke in her brain and that she had come out of it for a minute, but that it was, it was too bad. And it, she slipped back into a, a state. And, you know, so they said, there's no use in us even talking about doing a heart surgery if she's brain dead. What's the point? And that's what they told him. That's what they left him with. And we, Clint came out just devastated, you know, because he was like, how can they even say it? He had to leave the room because he was about ready to... Well, the Holy Ghost is about ready to leave the building. Let me just say that <laughs> with those doctors. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Tori went up there. Chad's, um, her son Chad, you know, his wife, Tori, she went up there and stayed with her that night. And she called us late, late that night. And she said, she's awake. She's back. I mean, we all were just praying and praying and praying. And, you know, no matter what, the whole, the whole step of the way, because I know she kind of explained she had an aortic dissection, but... Um, a lot of people don't really know what all that is. And so your aorta is the main blood vessel. It pumps all the blood to, your, to and from your body. It's, it's about the size of a garden hose almost. It's pretty thick. Um, and it comes straight out of the top of the heart, and it curves down and goes you know, to everywhere else. Um, a dissection is when, well, she had a major aneurysm too, which is basically a big ballooning out right at the top of her aorta, right at the top of her heart. Um, if that ruptures, you die, basically. There's no... Anything yeah, you can do about it. Yeah. Not in her case. <laughs> um, a dissection happens when, because there's three layers to the aorta and the inside, and basically a dissection happens when a tear happens in the, the inner layers of the aorta, and blood starts making a pocket and traveling into a, a pocket in between the lining. And like she said, you know, normally they, I mean, they don't even have a classification for what happened for her. There's a classification system, you know, type 1, type 2, type 3. Well, they don't even have a classification for the extent of her dissection. Um, Normally what they would do with the dissection, if it didn't cause death, um, is that they would replace that part of the aorta. 
uh, in her case, they would they there's not enough <laughs> of anything to replace, and it was so. Yeah, she they, there's there's not really any way to even do that. Um, they they discussed talking about fixing the aneurysm up at the top, but even now, so because of the fact of the extent of hers and the fact that they don't even know how she's alive. Normally with this, it'll cause, the blood won't flow to the rest of the body. The blood won't flow properly and it'll cause clots in that pocket. (laughs) And then I want to tell you that the doctor said, no, this is impossible because my body supplied blood to the rest of my organs on its own. On its own. Yeah. On its own. They don't, they said, no, that's impossible. I'm here to tell you, it did. It did. And it's really funny because my cardiologist in Arizona, he comes into my room shaking his head. It's like, Nancy, I don't even know what to say to you. You shouldn't even be here. I said, well, I'm here, so talk to me. You know? And, um, but I, you know, There's a lot of other stuff that went on in the mix of being um, in that kind of physical condition. I was on a lot of medication, so a lot of it I don't remember. However, um, I was on Oxycontin and fentanyl every four hours for almost a year. So consequently, I got addicted to these two things. And it made me hallucinate. It made me think. I, I even beat up Pastor Dallas. And, and I asked Clint, I said, did I really do that? He says, no, Mom. I said, I would have took him. <laughs> anyway, I would have took him. But I, that's what this stuff does to you. I, I hallucinated so bad, even to the point where I thought my daughter was trying to kill me. And for over a year, I wouldn't have anything to do with her because I thought she was trying to kill me. And so I, I'm sorry. I always thought that I would have her back and she would have mine. And I learned what drugs do to you is it, it destroys your whole life. But I would like for her to say a few words only because I want you to understand what it did to her. Please, Shannon, say a few words. You don't have to say a lot, just, but don't make me cry anymore. myself just what she tells me for even feeling that way um, because I refuse to even see her I refuse to even let her come to see me no I'm not done <laughs> I'm done really I don't know what I'm I don't know what you want me to say mama how did it make you feel I was I devastated and I know that she tried to come several times and I believe this with all my heart at the time. And I would tell the rehab center, no, she needs to leave. I don't even want to see her. She tried to kill me for insurance money. I know she did. (laughs) I believe that with all my heart. I'm so ashamed of myself for that. 
And she keeps telling me, you need to forgive yourself. But you can't. God forgives me. But I have to forgive myself for that. So if you don't want to say anything, that's okay. I understand. I just, I love you, Mom. That's all. You know, I believe with all my heart that each and every day that I breathe, it's because of God. There's just no possible way I could do it otherwise. And I have to tell you, because I was on all that medication, and my cardiologist told me, I'll just be quick, guys. My cardiologist told me I was a drag addict. I was furious. How dare you call me that? He was right. I was. I got anxious when I didn't have it. If I didn't have it every four hours, I got mad, belligerent. And I said, he's right. I am. I threw him all away. I took the patch off, threw the pills away, threw everything away. And I said, that's it. For four days, I went through withdrawals. I know how a drug addict feels. I went through four days of withdrawal, and it was so hard. And finally, that one night, I said, I, I can't do this by myself. And I went to church. And that night, we had, uh, we had a fill-in pastor, and he started talking about God moving mountains and the power of prayer. And I looked at him, and I said, he came down off the pulpit straight to me and started praying. When he touched me, I said, God, I believe in you. Move this mountain. And he, I felt the Spirit of God enter my body. And I was blessed with the Holy Ghost. And it was amazing. But I have to tell you, ever since that night, I've never even had another withdrawal. I never went through any pain at all. At all. I never had anything. So I thought, you know, I, I wanted to get baptized, but I had a trick in my throat. And I didn't think I'd be able to. Again, <laughs> to power of prayer. I, I went to my ENT. And he says, oh, yes, you can. Told me how to do it. And I was, so I was baptized. I was able to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Uh, Pastor Wilkins came to Oregon, and he came up to the hospital and prayed for me. And he says, I told him then, I, at this part I do remember, and I told him, he says, why do you think God saved you? I said, so I can be a warrior. And so I can testify to what God has done for me. That I am alive because God says it's so. And I, oh, by the way, if somebody tells you that when a doctor tells you if, that you can't hear somebody when you're in a coma, that's not true. You can hear them. I heard my family. And I couldn't respond, but I heard them. I knew they were there. You know, 
God is an awesome God. The, the next time that you guys are praying and you're walking the aisles or running the aisles, run a lap for me. I can't do it yet, but I will. Amen. Just this last one, I know. Sit down, I'm not ready. <laughs> My son's trying to get me out of here. Um, I encourage you to exercise your faith with spoken prayer and claim your victory. For all you have to do is look upon me now, 15 months later. Today, the doctor said I would not survive to know the power of prayer and what it can do. Amen. Uh, one more thing. Our pastor is an amazing pastor. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I am so thankful for our pastor today because when it's time, when he, when we need him, he's always there. He is faithful, and uh, he's going to lead us to heaven for sure. Praise God. I would, but I don't need that. Okay. But I, I thought, why is God saving me? What have I ever done? Oh, but I said, you know, what have I ever done to deserve God to save me? Not too long ago, we lost a member of the family, not my immediate family, but we lost a member of the family that had an aorta dissection just barely just barely an aorta dissection, and he died, 41 years old. So I, I really thought, God, if you're saving me for something, you need to let me know about this. Anyway, I'll, I'll get out of here and let you guys do it. Amen. That's so, so awesome. Amen. I'm just going to talk for just a couple minutes, not long, about probably 10 minutes or so. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In the New Living Translation, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. There are a few things in God's majestic creation that compare to the beauty, the grace, and the fragrance of a rose. Husbands, free advice. Roses are always appropriate. Roses are always good to display your love and affection to your beautiful bride. 
I've heard of men buying gifts that have upset their significant other, like vacuum cleaners, ironing boards, treadmills, dish soap, stuff like that. Not good gifts. But I don't recall a time when a woman was mad at her husband for getting her roses. Because there's something beautiful about a rose. There's almost a charm and an enchantment within the rose. And we're blessed to live close to the rose test garden here on the hill in Portland. Where roses are in bloom for part of the year. And if you've ever had a chance to go there, there's not much that matches the fragrance and the view of row after row after row of roses. There's a story of a little girl who, filled with excitement and curiosity, picked several rosebuds from her mother's garden. These rosebuds had not yet bloomed, and in her desire to enjoy them, In their most beautiful state, she began to tear them open. Her excitement quickly changed to disappointment when the flower did not respond the way she expected it to. Her mother came out of the house and found her daughter crying, holding the remains of broken rose petals. The mother gently caressed her daughter's face, wiping the tears away, and explained that God has a time for roses to bloom. You can't rush the process. You can't make it happen. Because only God can unfold a rose. There's a poem that reads that it's only a tiny rosebud this flower of God's design. But I cannot unfold its petals with these clumsy hands of mine. The secret of unfolding flowers is not known to such as I. This flower God opens so sweetly would in my hands fade and die. If I cannot unfold a rosebud, this little flower of God's design, How can I think I have wisdom to unfold this life of mine? So I'll trust him for his leading each moment of every day. I will look to him for his guidance each step of this pilgrim way. The pathway that leads before me, I'll trust him to unfold the moments just as he unfolds the rose. The one stanza I want to repeat says, If I cannot unfold a rosebud, this simple flower of God's design, how can I think I have wisdom to unfold this life of mine? I know our intentions are good. I know we all desire beauty. We all desire peace. We all desire love. But when we take our lives in our own hands, 
our clumsy fingers mess it up. Again, it doesn't, doesn't matter how sincere we are. I know everybody wants the same thing. Life, love, happiness. But we have to learn to let God unfold the rose. We have to let Him have His way. There's a, a song we listened to in our life group last Thursday. I hadn't heard for a long time. And that's the song that inspired this message uh, here today. And it, it just says that. When God unfolds the rose. And I tried as hard as I could to find a soundtrack. And I could not find it. So if you'll bear with me, just listen to the words to the song today. There have been times when I thought my prayers Wouldn't reach the ceiling of the room Where I knelt to pray And a voice inside kept asking me Did I think God was really listening To anything that I had to say But I just kept on a-praying and holding on by faith Knowing God is always in control And I waited like a rosebud in the garden And I let God unfold the rose When God unfolds the rose he always gets it right When the petals are in place It's such a beautiful sight God knows when to hold on And He knows the perfect time to let go So let God have His way And watch God unfold the rose. There are trials and tribulations we must all go through. When it comes to heartaches, we've all had our share. But when times are the hardest, we need to hold to the promise. He said He'd never give us more than we could bear. So I'll just keep on a-praying And holding on by faith Knowing God is always in control And I'll wait just like that rosebud in the garden And I'll let God unfold the rose when God unfolds the rose He always gets it right When the petals are in place It's such a beautiful, beautiful sign God knows when to hold on He knows a perfect time to let go 
So let God have his way And watch God unfold the rose Amen If Anna could come today, we're come to a close. And I encourage you, just that today, let God unfold the rose. Another quote that I, I read in preparing for today simply said, Do not watch the petals fall from the rose with sadness. Know that like life, Things sometimes must fade before they can bloom again. Don't watch petals fall from a rose with sadness. Know that like life, things sometimes must fade before they can bloom again. Sometimes we have to allow the loving, capable hands of Jesus to pluck some things from our life. Because without those old dead rose petals, the new ones that are beautiful cannot take their place. The master gardener has to come and pluck away each of those rose petals so that next year there will be a new bloom. It may be painful. It may be confusing. But those are the times where we lean not to our own understanding. But in all of our ways, we acknowledge Him. We trust Him. And we do that thing that's so hard to do. We wait patiently like that rosebud in the garden. We wait patiently. All the while trusting that God knows best. Amen. God knows best. If you want to stand with us today, as we prepare to close, we're going to have a meal afterwards. Today's a day of celebration for Sister Nancy's life. I'm glad we get to celebrate her life today. And I commend her family for coming because sometimes you're more likely to get people to come to a funeral than a celebration. (laughs) We can weep with people when they weep, but can we celebrate with them when they celebrate? So we celebrate her life today. And as you look at her life, truly God is unfolding the rose in her life. The moment she surrendered to Him, He has begun to to put beauty where there used to be pain. He says, come to me and and I will give you rest. He says, I'll give you beauty for ashes. I'll give you strength for fear. I'll give you freedom for addiction. I'll give you forgiveness for your sin. I'll replace your bitterness with love. Amen.
we're closing today, let's just surrender to him for a moment in prayer. And say, Lord, I don't want to be doing this with my life anymore. I want to give control back to you, Jesus. Because Christianity, yes, we're a church. Yes, we do our best to encourage each other and we're accountable to each other. We love each other, but we don't just gather for each other today. We gather because we're trusting God to unfold the rose in our life. We gather today trusting our Heavenly Father knows what's best. We gather today knowing that He is the Master Gardener and He knows exactly what I need. Whether He gives or take away, Job says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Still I will choose to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And who knows, but today for something you've gone through, it wasn't to lead you to this place. And if we can be saved as a result of it, then blessed be the name of the Lord. Above all else, I must be saved. The old song says, whatever you have to do to me, don't let me be lost for eternity. For above all else, I must be saved. I'm not asking you to surrender to me today. I'm just a man. I'm just a pastor. Just someone that's a a tool in the hand of God. But I'm asking you to surrender to Jesus Christ. To say, Lord, I'm not going to do things my way. I want to do things your way. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. Because you're the one who will give me that life that I desire. You're the one who filled my life with peace and joy and love. Help me to love my spouse. Help me to love my children. Help me to overcome the things that are destroying me. Amen. So we just take a few moments at the end of each service to pray. You're welcome to head out if you'd like and enjoy lunch. We're just going to sing a song for a couple minutes. And if you want to continue to connect with Jesus Christ today, you want to continue to surrender to Him, you have some things on your heart, some things on your mind that are weighing heavy, and you want to just come to Him and cast all your care on Him, He's here today for you. Don't be ashamed of crying. Don't be ashamed of letting the emotions flow today. Because it's through that that we find healing. It's through that we find peace. Amen. He's here today to give life. He's here to bless you today. You cause walls to fall with your power. You do miracles because there is nothing that's impossible. And we're standing here only because you made a way. You made a way Cause you move mountains You cause walls to fall With your power You do miracles Cause there is nothing That's impossible
It looked as if it was over 